Welcome to the Divine Nature Podcast. Check out DivineNature.net for more podcasts, videos, blogs, and commentary from a Christian and biblical worldview perspective. This is the Divine Nature Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Okay, today, today we want to go into Jesus versus Paul. This is what I've been wanting to do for a long time. I've been wanting to get to this one. (laughs) I wrote my script a while back during a time when I felt that people were like, you know, I was seeing videos pop up of uh, people just uh, going crazy, uh, comparing Jesus to Paul and calling Paul a heretic. And, you know, it, it just almost comes in waves. But of course, the attacks never, never stop. OK, so what we're going to do, what we're going to do today is we're going to. Uh, let's see. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go into this and we're gonna open up we're gonna open up on uh all right we're gonna open up on this uh paul versus jesus okay the question is did paul preach the same thing as jesus okay that's the question did paul preach the same thing as jesus that's what we have to find out Okay, and how do we find out? By going into the scriptures. Okay, let's go to Matthew 5, for instance. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 5, starting at verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, here he's making a clear distinction between uh, the words abolish and fulfill okay that's something we got to concentrate on all right for truly i say to you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. First of all, let's be real. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but that word, do you think makes sense here? For all those people who keep saying that Jesus changed the law, well, well, if you change the law, you're abolishing the law, right? Okay, and he already says he didn't come to abolish the law. So it makes no sense for him to say, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to destroy it. It would be the same meaning. It would be the same thing. That wouldn't even make sense. He wouldn't be saying anything different. But what about the word fulfill? If fulfill is the same thing as abolish, then why would he not use the same word? For instance, I didn't come to abolish the word, but to abolish it. 
or I didn't come to abolish the word, but to cancel it. I didn't come to abolish the word, but to end it. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to eradicate it. No, he said he came to fulfill it, okay, to complete the requirement. It means to complete the requirement, to satisfy it, to accomplish it. When you fulfill something, you satisfy its requirement. And that's what Jesus did. He satisfied the requirement of the law, something that no one could do. And that's why he could be the spotless lamb of God. Okay. The sixth commandment, do not murder. Okay. We're going to look at certain things that, uh, that where you say, okay, well, if he changed the law, then that means that, um, that means that Paul would be preaching something different than Jesus and they would all be completely mixed up, right? And they would not believe in the same thing, right? So uh, Matthew 15, <clears throat> you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be guilty before the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Sanhedrin. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Okay? Eating without washing hands. That was the tradition of the Jews. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do you... Why do your disciples break the tradition? Now, the reason why I showed you the issue of murder, right? The sixth commandment is that not only does he st stay with the commandment, he act actually brings it, makes it deeper, and he demonstrates that the law was not being practiced uh, correctly in the first place. Okay? So, obviously... They were not understanding it a lot deeper than God intended it. Because here, they're talking about straight-up murder, but Jesus says, if you're even angry with, you, with your brother, you shall be um, guilty. Right? The same thing here with eating without, without washing hands, which is a tradition. All right? Jesus said, why do you disciples, why, they told him, why do you disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. Now he's, he's going to throw the, the fifth commandment on them. And he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his mother or father, whatever you might benefit from me is given of God. Right? That's what he says. And they had a coined phrase for that. They called it, I forgot what they called it. They called it uh, Chorazin or something. I forgot what it's called. they called it. No. Um, and, and so Jesus says he, he need not honor his father. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy to you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines, the commandments of men. You see? Traditions, tr commandments of men. These were the fastidious uh, law keepers. Okay? 
and the traditions. Do you think maybe this misunderstanding was just in their generation, or was it wrong teaching that came down generations from generations of warped understanding, right? After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that this defiles the man. Okay? So it's not if you eat something that's unclean, it's not if you eat with unclean hands. Okay? Then the disciples came and they said to him, Do you not do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he said answered to them and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Okay? Leave them alone. They are blind guides a blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Okay? Um, so, you know, he made, he made his point. Right? Okay, so he said, These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Because he says what defiles a person comes from the inside. Oh, wait a minute. Are, aren't these the law? Don't remember seeing evil thoughts in the Tenth Commandment. Huh? Well, these are the things that make the law needed. These are the violations of the law. And they start within the heart. So when you say you can keep the law, these are the things that can be with, can't be within your heart. Not even a smidgen or else, you're violating the law. And if you break one, you break them all. And no one can keep from committing these violations perfectly, only Christ. So can anyone keep the law perfectly? No, no, and no. You can lie about keeping them, but you can't truthfully keep them. You need to be justified in Christ because he kept the law perfectly. The only way we can keep the law perfectly is through Christ and so he, we put on his righteousness. Okay? That's basically it. So Jesus in the Beatitudes and Paul wrote about this concerning the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ crucified the, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Right? And so Jesus spoke about these things in Matthew 5. He said, And he opened up his mouth and began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? So in Matthew 5, we see adultery, the seventh commandment. You have heard, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, so Jesus didn't change the law by doing this. He basically demonstrated to them that the law was more than the laundry list of a checklist. Um, 
and it has to be on the inside, right? Love your enemies, Matthew 5. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Romans 20, uh, if you look at Romans 12, 20, <clears throat> Paul is teaching, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Sounds similar to what Jesus said. Did Paul hate, keep, disobey the law? Romans 3.31, do we then abolish, there goes that word abolish again, do we then abolish the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So faith did, didn't do away with the law because we're now in, in grace through faith. No, he says on the contrary, we establish the law. How do we establish the law? By faith, by the grace that God has given us in the new covenant. Romans seven twelve. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he doesn't sound like he's hating on the law. He's calling it holy, good, righteous. If you look at verse 16, it, he'll say, but if I do the very thing I do not want, I agree with the law that the law, that it is good. In first Timothy in the first chapter, he says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Were the Pharisees using it lawfully? No. No, they weren't. They were touting it, but they weren't doing it. And in many places, like I just showed you, that Christ had to correct them, they were not doing it correctly. Okay? Circumcision. Did Paul change the law on circumcision? Let's go to Romans 2, verse 25. For indeed, hang on, I got to check something. All right, let's go back. For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. Practice the law, folks. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man observes the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? What counts? Circumcision or doing the law? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, will he not judge you who through the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgression, a trans the transgressor of the law? In... Um, if we continue reading, for he is not a Jew who is outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is inwardly. So he's talking about all this justification, all this righteousness from the inside. In the new covenant, we're not, it's not outward, it's inward. And that's the focus. But then Jesus did the same thing too. It's inward not outward right and the law was made as a schoolmaster as a as a mirror to show us the not only the necessity that we need a savior that we need a spotless lamb looking into the future for for by by which we we await that messiah and in faith awaiting loyally 
um, faithfully waiting on him for these promises, but, um, you know, living holy. And at that time, they had a covering, which was a sacrificial system. But in the new covenant, that all came tumbling down, but we had the Savior to cover us. Okay? If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, 19, he says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. In Galatians 5, 3, And I testify again that to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Okay? You want to do the law? Okay? You got to keep the whole law. So many people out there talk about doing the law, doing the law, doing the, that is, that is, is tied in with the old covenant given to the children of Israel. That is not that the understanding is different. It's in the heart, in the new covenant. It's still just as sinful. That's why we have the old covenant to show us the necessity and the importance and the deepness, how ugly sin is, because in those days, the penalty was stoning for violating the law. The penalty was being cut off, right? The severity of things is how we should see things now, only now it's in the heart that we have to implement these things. It doesn't mean it's less important. It doesn't mean it's less severe. It just means that God is giving you the grace to repent and to walk in the manner worthy of the calling. If you hear his voice, you should walk as he walked. That's what the Bible teaches in the New Covenant. It's, it's the same law. Again, we establish the law in faith. We're still in the law but we're not saved by the law. Okay? So, in Galatians, in the, in the sixth verse, for in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith, working through love. Verse 11, but I, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross would have been abolished. Galatians 6.15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Ephesians 2.11, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uns uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Philippians 3.3, for we are the circumcision. Not only is he saying it's not a thing, now he says, we are the circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and put on confidence, no confidence in the flesh. Now, the, the, the whole idea and the meaning of the circumcision was to have a symbolic, a physical and tangible symbolism of the importance and the severity of separation from the flesh, Right? That symbolism is what he's saying we are when he says, for we are the circumcision. 
That's the way to understand it. Colossians 2.11, in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. You see how he's tying it all together? Okay, the, 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 sim, the symbolism of the old covenant understanding with the now heartfelt and new covenant understanding of the same thing, which is holiness. Okay, Jesus tells the Jew, you're not even keeping the law of Moses. Hint, nobody can keep the law perfectly. And if you fail in one, you fail in all. So Jesus um, answered him and said, my teaching is not mine, but from him who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is of God or I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is none unrighteous. There is no unrighteousness in him. There he goes. Jesus is telling us he is true and no right, unrighteousness in him. Speaking of himself. Okay? Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you does the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Okay? Let's read Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Are you under the law? You're under a curse. All these people that think that just concentrate on law and they don't realize that they've been freed by grace, they're under a curse. For it is written, curses everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to do them. Right? John 7, 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? So he healed an entire body, right? Okay, when you separate from the flesh, right? You separate from the corruption, right? That's, what, that's the symbolism of circumcision. Here, God made a whole man holy, right? Okay? And the, they were angry at him because he did so. Okay? So they were angry at him for violating the symbolism, right? And yet here he did, he restored a man and healed him, and yet they were angry with him. He's demonstrating the irony in that. What is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is rest. What is circumcision? Separation from the flesh. Sanctification. Cleansing. Purity. Right in their presence, the Lord did the work of God by healing and giving him rest. And yet, they couldn't see it. Jesus fulfilled the role as prophet, priest, and king. A priest of a new and better covenant. If we go to Hebrews chapter 7, let's read in verse 22. So much, let me check my parameters first of all. Okay. So much more Jesus also had become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priest on the other and on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, 
You see that? Because he continues forever, he's everlasting, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Okay? Who does not need daily, like those high priests, who to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Okay? The new covenant has arrived with better promises to live on. If you go to chapter 8 of Hebrews, uh, verse 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For the fact, for, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, I will, and upon their hearts I will write them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. The sacrifice one time, the eternal temple not made with hands. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. The new covenant. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats or calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy places once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more were the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the trespasses that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. 
Therefore, not even the first covenant has inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry he sprinkled with blood. And according to the law, one may also say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens and to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, God could stand, he, he st stood in the presence of God for us, mediating. When, we, when he sees Christ, he is representing us. Now we have the holiness of God by faith. Nor was it, in verse 25, nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest, high, high priest enters the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let's read verse 26 again, because it's just, I think it's so important. The priest could not atone for the sins of mankind, but Christ could, because he says he would have needed to suffer often the foundation since the foundation of the world. That's talking about Jesus. The, pre the human priests could not do that. But the Son of God could, because the Son of God is the Word of God, and he was since the foundation of the world. Right? But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested. Again, I got to say something from verse 26, which is phenomenal. I'm going to have to highlight this because I'm getting so much from this right now. It says, but now, once at the consummation of the ages, he's talking about now, this age. This age is, the con is considered the consummation of the ages. He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, meaning that from eternity past, or rather from the before the foundation of the earth, he had to have lived. This is the type of the, for the beginning of all humanity. This priest who had to atone for our sins through the shedding of a, of, of a, a blood not his own, had to have existed from the foundation of the earth, but Jesus did, right? Jesus as priest, right? He can do that. And now it says at the consummation, meaning the end of the ages, this is considered the end of the ages. We're at the very last time because it says here that he came at the consummation of the ages to be manifested, to put away the sins by the sacrifice of himself. So we're in the last time, and this confirms it, right? And it also confirm, confirms that Jesus was before the earth ever was. 
So verse 27, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Okay, now he's talking, now remember, he's talking about the mediation between his people. That's why it can say here in verse 28 that when he, when he appears a second time, for salvation without reference to sin. Why? Because we've already been forgiven. He's coming to save us already. These are his people that he's referring to. To those who, see right, right here, the end of it, it says, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. You see? He's not speaking of the whole world. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10. Christ's sacrifice once and for all. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. You see, look, those sacrifices, that atonement that was given for the, in the law, in the Old Covenant, they cannot make perfect those who draw near. Okay? They can't. Otherwise, they would have not have stopped to be offered. Verse 2, because the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Okay? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see? You see how obsolete the, the, the sacrificial system was? We can't possibly think we're going to go back there again. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. To do your will, O God. Verse 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's why the Catholic Mass is so aberrant and evil and misunderstanding. The, the true atonement of Christ is so it's also blasphemous verse 12 but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies are put as his as a footstool for his feet for by one offering he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and put their mind, put and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Okay? Meaning, now that God has forgiven us for these things, the spotless lamb, the eternal lamb, the one-time sacrifice, 
there is no longer any offering for sin. A new and living way. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, that's, that's end-of-the-age language. For if we go on sinning willfully after the receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and furry fury of a fire which will consume the adver adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the mouth of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled on the foot of the Son of God and has regarded and defiled the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus fulfilled the seat of David. In Psalm 2, the reign of Yahweh's anointed. Why do the nations rage? Why do the na and will the peoples meditate on a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord mocks them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. I shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. So now, O kings, show insight. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Are you taking refuge in him? The, the nations refuse him to this very day. But a remnant of them come out okay, are called out by God, the resurrection, Jesus and Paul, okay? In Matthew 17, and as they, it says, and as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. In Mark 8, 31, and he began to teach them in that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Mark 9, 31. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And then he has, when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. Luke 24, 7. 
saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Romans 6, 5. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay? Doesn't sound any different. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3, 10 that they may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. First Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? So Christ spoke about resurrection, about dying, and that's exactly what the apostles were speaking, Paul and Peter. Okay, so this whole idea of Paul versus Jesus is ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever, um, in all honesty. Uh, really, it, it makes no sense. There's just people that want to, uh, you know, find fault between Paul and Jesus when the doctrine and the similarities are there and they're the same. And so it, it just, it, ma it makes no sense that people would, would try to, you know, say that they, they spoke the same thing, they had different doctrines. It's absolute nonsense. Don't believe it. Don't believe the hype. It's absolute absurdity. Don't believe the hype. <laughs> okay? So, yeah. So, thanks for joining me today. We read a lot of Bible. And so, I hope you appreciated it. And, and so, uh, yeah. Until next time. God bless. All right, you're listening to the Divine Nature Podcast, a blog and cultural commentary ministry dedicated to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reach out to those who have ears to hear by the power of the Holy Spirit, check out DivineNature.net for updates on blogs, videos, and more podcasts. And don't forget to share if you care. Until next time, God bless.